0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are here once again in order to grow. We will grow as we study to show ourselves approved before God's face, workmen needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Open the word of truth this morning once again to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 is we're going to work our way through four asynchronous accounts. That means uh, we're going to do a lot of flipping back and forth between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These accounts are asynchronous, but we're going to synchronize the asynchronous. How about that? Meaning that it's hard to link them together. It's hard to... Um, that the text, the texts themselves don't harmonize themselves. Any harmony we put to these four accounts is going to be, by its very nature, an artificial structure that we that we put it into. Okay, it'd be like um, if I tell you my children are uh, are Bob, Christopher, Zoe, and Alethea, or Alethea, Bob, Christopher, Zoe. I just throw names out there in no random order or alphabetize their names or whatever. You would not know how to synchronize them if you did not know how old they were or when their birthdays were or to put them in age order would require additional outside information to to take four separate data points and try to correlate them together, okay? That's what we're doing with these four Gospels uh, because many of the details are very divergent in the in the record. Uh, so uh, Matthew will talk about um, uh, women, but not talk about Peter and, and John, for example, on their foot race. Uh, other gospels will have other details. Some have angels outside the tomb. Some have angels inside the tomb. Um, and some have a single angel. Some have two angels. And so to, to take all of these accounts and put them together into a synthesis is um, a process And it's one that has some, it's more of an art than a science. It'll have some wiggle room, it'll have some flexibility, and hopefully we will have really a relaxed attitude towards other folks in their attempts. Because uh, different harmonies that you read may have some different ways that they put them together. That's fine, uh, as far as it goes. All right. Before we get started, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer to ask God the Father to set aside distractions and to bless our time in His Word today. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, and we thank you for the privilege we have this morning, Father, to take time out of our morning, time out of our week, to step aside and, and uh, to come to this class, Father. We rejoice in the life of Christ series that you've blessed us with for so long now, Father. We, we're now reaching the uh, the finish line, at least the, the line is in sight, and uh, we thank you for the resurrection of our Savior. We thank you for what he accomplished on the cross. We thank you that uh, his death is not the end of the story, Father, but uh, the reality of his resurrection, Father. And I pray that you would bless our study, that we would uh, come to identify with how powerful the resurrection is, not only for, for his sake, but for our sake, Father, That uh, that his resurrection is... Uh, the guarantee of ours, Father. It is the basis for our present walk in the newness of life. We don't simply imitate a Savior who died, but one who died and rose again and is presently seated at your right hand. Father, uh, Just it's a powerful doctrine. It's a great treasure for us. I thank you for it. In Christ Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. All right. Matthew chapter 28 after the sabbath as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week mary magdalene and the other mary came to look at the grave so we've got mary and another mary we had a bunch of marys actually we were looking at related to the crucifixion and the women that were observing his death here we have two of those marys uh not his mother not the mother of of our savior but uh, mary magdalene and the other mary the mother of uh, james and joseph the wife of Alpheus. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for, an, a- for the, an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. Critical that you identify that that's an angel, not the angel of the Lord, right? The angel of the Lord in the Old Testament was Jesus Christ himself. It was a, a pre-incarnate appearance of God the Son. Uh, the angel of the Lord does not appear again after the uh, incarnation of Jesus in the uh, in the manger. So... This is an angel of the Lord that descended and rolled the stone away and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women. So as you work your way through this text, understand we have verse 1. Mary and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And then you can skip down to verse 5. The angel said to the women, and then everything in between there, basically verses two three, and four is is you could think of it as a parenthesis okay if uh, if the ancient Greeks would have invented the parentheses, they could have included parentheses here in uh, in these manuscripts um, because it, it's giving us details attendant details for what uh Immediately struck the, these women what, what appeared to their eyes when they arrived at the tomb and uh, these other details that preceded their arrival uh, you can think of as a flashback or as a as a parenthetical scene for what happened uh, before the women arrived we're going to start detailing that for you in the in the point by point now the last couple of weeks we've dealt with two points of study uh, we focused on the first day of the week under point 1 the fact that this is sunday morning this is the first day of the week this is the morrow after the sabbath all right uh, jesus was crucified on friday uh, saturday was the sabbath day of rest and then sunday was the day of resurrection and they came early sunday morning this is the basis for why it is that although in the old testament the jewish people uh, observed the sabbath Sabbath-keeping was a part of the Ten Commandments. Sabbath-keeping was was a uh, feature of Mosaic law. It was a feature of Jewish observance. Still to this day, Sabbath-observance is a feature of Judaism, as is practiced even in modern times. Uh, But... With the resurrection of Jesus Christ, for those believers that crossed from the Old Testament into the New Testament, uh, it is the first day of the week that has significance. That's why Sunday is called the Lord's Day in the church age. That's why Sunday is the day that we have our our primary uh, worship services uh, in church. Christian churches. Sunday is the primary day for the church age as Saturday was for Israel. So the first day of the week provides for a reality far greater than the Sabbath doctrine ever could. We had some points to study under this, some uh, a b and c sub points. I won't go back to um this morning, but good material if you want to review the audio file from the website. It's uh just sitting there minding its own mp3 business. All right, the second point of study, though, uh, point two, the explicit Sunday resurrection is also helpful to identify the Friday crucifixion. And this is we spent a bit of time with a week ago highlighting the different views in terms of folks that have uh, a Wednesday crucifixion or a Thursday crucifixion view. Uh, And I recommended Harold Honer in his material, uh, Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ, that I think really locks us in uh, conclusively to the uh, traditional Friday view. It's called Good Friday, always has been called Good Friday. Uh, that is the traditional date for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ that allows for uh, the countless verses of on the third day, on the third day. And there are um, so many, multiple on the third day passages that you uh, have to take it as the natural reading of what the, the New Testament's talking about. He died on Friday, Friday's day one, Saturday's day two, Sunday's day three. On the third day, he rose from the grave. In my, in my mind, the Luke 24 passage is is the most straightforward. He's talking to these two men on the Emmaus Road, and they say, Are you the only man in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on this weekend? <laughs> right? That uh that that Jesus of Nazareth, this great prophet, was put to death, was crucified by uh the, the religious leaders and, and Pontius Pilate. And besides it is now the third day since these things have happened. And that was on Sunday when he was walking with them on the road to Emmaus. So anyway, there's, there, there is some homework that has to be done in this context because there is a three days and three nights passage in Matthew 12:40. as uh, Jonah was in the, the belly of the, of the whale or the sea monster, um, for three days and three nights, so too shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so that's an idiom we have to understand, what is meant by the term three days and three nights. Uh, because that bothers a lot of folks. They, they only see, with a Friday crucifixion, they only see Friday night and Saturday night. They don't see, and they say, well, that's, that's not enough. That's only two nights, Friday night and Saturday night. That, that's not a, you need a third night. And so they want to push it back to a Thursday crucifixion. And that, that way they're happier. That way they've got a Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and they say, aha, now we're good. We've got three nights. Problem is, is, now that puts them on the fourth day because you've got Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Sunday becomes the fourth day. And so you can be happy about that third night all you want, but now I'm unhappy because now you've got a fourth day. <laughs> and the scripture says on the third day. So anyway there is work to be done on that and the uh, article i read for you from harold honer spelled out the idiomatic nature of on the third day after three days three days and three nights as being idiomatic for a term that communicates the same thing uh, on the third day he died on friday was raised on sunday so now we arrive today to main point three in the outline um the uh the harmony of the four gospel accounts. The asynchronous accounts are difficult to harmonize. The asynchronous accounts are difficult to harmonize. So if you just sat down right now, I'm not going to do it because we did it a couple weeks ago. If you just read the, the empty tomb story from the gospel of Matthew, you would have a certain set of details and, and a story. And then you read it from Mark 16. You read the empty tomb narrative from the gospel of Mark. Okay, chapter 16, the first eight verses. And you would have a, a story. Likewise, Luke, you read that account in Luke 24, you would have a story. And read the John account, you have a story. All right? This is one of the few events that's actually recorded by all four Gospels. Not many events are covered in all four of our Gospel records. And uh, and so to take them and to harmonize them into a into a synthesis then is not the easiest of of all the things we've ever done in all these uh, all these life of Christ series. A.T. Robertson created an excellent framework, and that's the one we're using. That's the framework we're using for our Harmony of the Gospel outline. Uh, likewise, Johnston Cheney drafted an excellent narrative. Did you read through that? And we handed out those uh, handouts last week. And I don't know if we have any extra copies of those around, but we, uh, we uh, made photocopies and handed those out last week. If you want a copy, I, I can email it to you. Um, so Johnston Cheney uh, drafted an excellent narrative in his, uh, in his uh, Life of Christ in Stereo. Uh, my outline is going to be slightly tweaked from A.T. Robertson's, and I'm going to spell it out for you in points A through G. So let's get started. I think the first thing that happened was this earthquake. Uh, So point A now, I'm I'm just going to take all these events, combining all four gospel records, and listing them for you in the sequence that makes the most sense to me. That makes the most sense to me. So point A, before dawn, the earthquake and angel incapacitate the guards. Before dawn, the earthquake and angel incapacitate the guards. Matthew 28, verses 2 through 4. This was even before dawn after the sabbath as it began to dawn as it began to dawn before the first day of the week it's interesting there is a a time idiom that's at play here in the gospel of matthew record slightly different than what we have in mark luke and john that emphasizes uh, a a narrative that precedes the sun even coming up at all all right so this is uh, the earthquake and the angel and we see the guards here and this is uh this is unique to Matthew's account when we have uh, likewise the guards that go and report and uh, they're told to uh, to uh, to lie about what happens when you peek down to verse 11 here in Matthew 28 you see this detail while they were on their way that's the women going back to report to the disciples Uh, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened and uh, so they report to the chief priest and they get a bribe here to uh they're they're paid cash to claim that they fell asleep on guard duty all right let me tell you something We'll, we'll detail this when we get to this event um i wouldn't do that i don't know any any army soldier that would do that all right particularly in the roman um service where i mean they'd be executed for falling asleep on guard duty but there it is uh, they get paid to uh, to claim that, well, we fell asleep and the disciples stole the body while we were asleep. And if this should uh, come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. Right? <laughs> you know, let me tell you something. If they're paying you hush money to shut you up, they're going to be very happy for you to, to die <laughs> very soon. Okay. And, uh, So they took the money and did as they had been instructed and the story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. And is to this day. When Matthew penned his gospel, this uh, legend of the disciples stealing the body was still being told. Was still being told. Okay? At the point of time, uh, depending on when you date the writing of the gospel of Matthew, uh, when uh, the tax collector sat down and penned this gospel account. I think it was pretty early. I think it was in the mid-40s. Alright, some people date it later than that, but in any event. Uh, So here's our first event. Before dawn, the earthquake and the angel incapacitate the guards. Now, we don't have, um, when you look at the guards here, in verse 4, the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Alright, so you can imagine uh, the glory of this angel, His appearance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow. Um, These guards, uh, you know, as ferocious and brave as they are, they're not ready to deal with that kind of glory. And they fall over, struck as dead, knocked unconscious, knocked comatose, what have you. And we don't see the guards mentioned again in between verse 4 and verse 11. Some of the guard... Came into the city. So, in between verse three and verse, or verse four and verse eleven, not a hint of what those guards are doing. And I suspect uh, they were just, you know, <laughs> laying there, <laughs> okay, um, having become as dead men. And so the women show up, and there's these guards just laying there. Um, Peter and John come running up. These guards are just laying there. Um, well, we're gonna we're gonna discuss the order on that at the point that they finally. Um, they finally jump up and uh, go and report. All right. Now, this earthquake, verses 2 and following, um, I think the, the language here also speaks of a past tense activity. Behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. So, when, they, when the women first arrive, the point I'm trying to make is that when the women first arrive, that earthquake is already done all right the ground's still not shaking the stone's already been rolled away the angel's still sitting on top of it the the guards are already knocked unconscious okay you got to back up a little bit to uh to understand that in verse two i think two three and four all take place before uh the women arrive before the women arrive then the women arrive in verse five the angel says to them do not be afraid all right i know that you are looking for jesus who has been crucified he is not here for he has risen just as he said come see the place where he was lying so he says come on in take a look look around see everything you want to see offers to uh, to give them that uh, that uh, tour all right so i think that the earthquake and the guard incapacitation preceded the arrival of the women secondly before dawn mary magdalene and the other women arrive And they see the stone rolled away. So I put the earthquake first, and then the women arriving to observe the stone. The stone's already rolled away. They don't see it rolled. They don't see it moving. They don't see who moves it. They don't see um, how it was moved. They just observe that it's in a different spot than it was when they last saw it on Friday. The last time they saw it was on Friday when when uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had pushed the stone into its place when the, the guards had put a seal on it. That's the last time they'd seen that stone. The women then went home, had their Sabbath observance. They came back Sunday morning, and it's now off to the side somewhere. It's off. It's gone. It's, it's no longer blocking the entrance to this tomb. Mary Magdalene and the other women arrive, and they see the stone rolled away. Now, we've already seen Matthew 28, 1 where it's Mary and the other Mary. Uh, let's look at these other accounts. Mark 16. See, I told you we'd to be doing some flipping today. Mark 16. When the Sabbath was over, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome, that's uh, the mother of James and uh, John, the sons of thunder the wife of Zebedee. You can call her Mrs. Zebedee if you want. I don't think they used Mrs. back then, but we can use it. Um, they brought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Okay, And this is kind of the detail that we talk about when we, when we harmonize the Gospels. Is, is Matthew wrong when he says that Mary and the other Mary came to the tomb? He didn't mention Salome. So is he wrong for not mentioning Salome? Is he inaccurate? Okay, Here's the thing. He doesn't say, Matthew doesn't say that they were the only two women that came to the tomb. He just says that these two women came to the tomb. That was his purpose. It was not Matthew's purpose to mention Salome. All right? Matthew had not mentioned Salome in previous accounts. Why would Matthew mention Salome in this account? Okay? But it was within Mark's purpose to mention Salome. So these are the kind of details that we observe and we observe them constantly in the Gospel records. Not a problem. Although uh, there are Bible skeptics that, that really try to make a big deal out of it. All right, very early, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb. Notice now, when the sun had risen, when the sun had risen, okay? And I think that's significant because the language is different here than what we saw in Matthew 28. That before the sun had risen, the earthquake struck, the angel rolled the stone away, the guards were were knocked out. But after the sun had risen, when the sun had risen is the point of time when the women arrive on the scene. Okay? Now how long did it take them to walk there? No clues? You know, was was it still dark when they left their house? I'm sure it would have been. You know, uh, where did they meet? you know they lived in different homes i'm sure and so did they meet somewhere and then come together to the tomb uh or did they say the 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 garden is where we'll meet you know was that the point where they first came together or did they come together at mary's house and then walk together none of that we have no idea okay we're looking for more details than than we really have uh, as we put this together but now notice um they, they, they are having a discussion amongst themselves. They were saying to one another, who will roll the stone away for us from the entrance of the tomb? Because they were there on Friday when it was sealed and they saw, man that's a huge stone. All right, it's going to take grown men, probably more than, than the two, probably more than uh, Joseph, Arimathea, and Nicodemus. I suspect that those two grown men had attendants and had servants helping them, that four or six men would have been necessary to roll that, roll that stone away. And so here's three women, four women, however many women are here. And because there undoubtedly were more besides the one's name. Um, if, if this is, they're coming together and they're pondering, how are we going to get that stone? How are we going to get that stone rolled away? All right. You know, it's like today. We get women saying, you know, when are these men going to take the trash out to the, <laughs> you know, the potlucks, this trash gets so overflowing. Can we get some of these deacons to, to uh, take that trash out? I keep forgetting to talk to Doug about that. All right, remind me after class. Now, um, now, see, here's the, here's the question, though. I mean, here's, I think this, this detail is helpful. They're having this discussion amongst themselves about who will roll the stone away. To me, that destroys a lot of the hypotheses, a lot of the theories, a lot of the guesses. There are some models, and I, I played with one of them. I, I considered one of them that actually has Mary Magdalene uh, making two trips, running twice, okay? Or even three times because Mary Magdalene is going to go fetch the disciples. Mary is Magdalene is going to go fetch Peter and John and bring them back to the tomb, okay? So Mary has at least two trips. And I toyed with the idea that maybe she had three. Maybe she had one by herself early and then the second one with these women And then the third one, when she ran and and fetched um, Peter and John. But uh, you have to reject that idea. She could not have come by herself early and seen the stone gone and then been a part of this conversation, saying, you know, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? She would have said, well, that's stupid. The stone's already rolled away from the tomb. I was here earlier. I was here before the sun came up. Okay, with the other Mary. All right. So forget the idea that two Marys got there early and then Salome showed up late and different women showed up. Um, I think there's a simpler way to, to reconcile this. And uh, now, in the Mark record though, Mark doesn't talk about the, the single angel sitting up on that stone. Um, they don't actually see, this record does not detail their viewing the angel until they're actually inside the tomb. So entering into the tomb they saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe and they were amazed and he said to them do not be amazed you are looking for jesus the nazarene who has been crucified he is risen he is not here behold here's the place where they laid him but go tell his disciples and peter what why is uh, why is peter separated there go and tell his disciples and peter He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. All right, so before dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other women arrive, and they see the stone is rolled away. Luke 24, let's look at this story. Luke 24. on the first day of the week at early dawn at early dawn kind of a generic term this was sun up yet not yet yes just barely what would you call early dawn they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb but when they entered they did not find the body of the lord jesus while they were perplexed about this behold two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing now Again, is it was it one man or two men? And is Mark wrong when he says one young man was there because he's the one that did all the speaking? Uh, if there was a second one there that didn't do any speaking, was, was Mark wrong for not mentioning the second one? No, it's not a lie, it's not wrong, it's not false, it's not contradictory, it's not mutually exclusive. All right two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, said to them, the men or one of the men said to them, why do you seek the living one among the dead? My favorite verse of this whole, <laughs> in this whole narrative. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? What are you doing in this tomb? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee. Saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And that's something. You see why repetition is necessary? Why you study doctrine and then things are brought to your remembrance to previous Bible classes, maybe even previous Bible classes that somebody else taught. Okay. These angels are reviewing doctrine that Jesus had previously given, and they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and all the rest now they were mary magdalene and joanna and mary the mother of james and that's the other mary and the also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles well how many were there how many were there we don't have an exact number okay but i mean boom there it is there's four five how many are there hard to say okay you know <laughs> I don't know why. Women always travel in packs. You know, they got to go to the bathroom, and the whole table is going to go together, all four of them, or however many there are. So there's Mary, Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, the other women, with them, telling these things to the apostles. But these words appear to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them because, of course, men are stupid, and <coughs> going to go look th- for themselves peter got up and ran to the tomb okay john chapter 20 in verse 1 the last of the four gospel records john 20 on the first day of the week so we have unanimous testimony all four gospels making it very clear sunday morning is the day of our savior's resurrection on the first day of the week The sabbath is over all the doctrine that Israel ever had for the sabbath rest okay not to replace it not to say it's not important anymore not to say you know but to show there is now a new significance day 7 is is important but day 8 has a new significance it's day 1 of the new of the new week it's the day of resurrection it's the day of new things Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple. All right. Again, there's Mary. No other women are mentioned, uh, but she does see that the stone is gone and she runs to fetch Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. So we will reconcile that here in just a moment. So before dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other women arrive and see the stone rolled away. Mary Magdalene runs off to fetch Peter and John. Here's the third event that happens. Mary Magdalene runs off to fetch Peter and John. M.M. if you want to abbreviate. Mary Magdalene. And she's really the only Mary with a last name, so we <laughs> ought to be able to, uh, they didn't have last names back then. <clears throat> Mary. Usually, it's thought of as that's, that's her birthplace. She's from the village of Magdala, perhaps. Um, you know, besides uh, Judas Iscariot, you know, none of the apostles have last names either, and we're not sure what Iscariot's about. We've got some guesses. Um, but Mary Magdalene runs off to fetch Peter and John. Now, the the Synoptic Gospels don't record that. This is a detail that's limited to. The Gospel of John, one of the participants in this foot race. Okay? Luke, in, in Luke's Gospel, he does have a single verse that hints or that d- discusses Peter's uh, not believing the women and going to check it out personally, but only with a single verse, no detail, no specificity. It's the Gospel of John that gives the full story of the foot race and of uh, the tomb and who went in first and what they saw and all the, the impact that, uh, that this had. Remember, the Gospel of John was written decades after the other gospel accounts. The other gospel accounts were all written in the in the 40s or 50s. Um, the uh, that's a whole study right there on when when were the gospels written. Some would have them written in the 70s or 80s. Uh, I, I think it's more natural that they were written in the in the uh, 40s and 50s. Matthew and Mark being written before Luke. John, though, was not written until after, decades, decades after. And his material intentionally is unique. His material is not to repeat everything that's given in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He gives a largely independent account of uh, the life of, of Christ. Okay. So the other women then, minus Mary Magdalene, okay, and, and as you reconcile this, I think that's the best way to do it. Uh, all the women arrive together. Mary Magdalene runs off by herself. That leaves the other women still there. Okay? And to me, that makes that's more natural than having Mary Magdalene come first and then running off to get Peter and John and then coming later with the pack of women and taking part in that conversation about who's going to roll the stone away from it for us kind of a thing, okay? It makes no sense for her to be engaged in that conversation if she'd already been there earlier. So the other women enter the tomb and listen to the angelic testimony before departing. And we've already read these verses, Matthew 28, verses 5 through 7, Mark 16, 5 through 7, and Luke 24, 3 through 9. All of the synoptic gospels reference a um, an angelic testimony. All of these Gospels, all the synoptic Gospels reference an angelic testimony. And the testimony is pretty consistent. The, uh, the uh, uh, testimony includes, he's not here, he's alive, he's gone, go tell the disciples, he's going to wait for them in Galilee. Okay? Take a message. <laughs> right? Because they've already been told, but they are probably not going to remember. Typical for a man. Uh, So remind him. Remind those disciples. He has gone ahead of them to Galilee. So the other women enter the tomb and listen to the angelic testimony before departing. I think this explanation also helps us to understand Mary Magdalene's um, continued bereavement and concern and fear in wonderment, she thinks Jesus is the gardener. Uh, she, uh, when she does finally return back from having fetched the disciples, uh, she's still lingering in the garden. Uh, she's, she looks in, she, wants, she asks these men, Where have you taken him? Tell me where you've laid him, and I'll, I'll deal with the body. She then sees the gardener, she thinks he's the gardener. Uh, she has no concept that these are angels. No concept that these are angels that have said he has risen, he has gone forth into Galilee. She doesn't hear that message. I think that she's off fetching Peter and John while these other women uh, listen to the angelic testimony. Okay. And um, again, I don't think we have to read all of these uh, because we have just looked at them all. The uh, the words that they speak are largely similar. Um He is not here, or do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, he has risen just as he said, Come see the place where he is lying. So basically the gist of what the angels are saying is he's not dead anymore. Okay? He is risen, he is not here. And then secondly, um Go and tell his disciples that he has uh, gone ahead of you to Galilee. That's their instruction. And I think in these synoptic accounts, they're largely um, similar in that regard. I should leave bookmarks in these chapters. Um, Here's Mark's account. He is risen. He is not here. Here's where they laid him. Go and tell his disciples he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Just as he told you. So Jesus already told them to go to Galilee, but they aren't going to remember that. You women, please go tell the disciples. Remind them, and uh, Galilee is where he will meet you. Likewise, Luke 24, 3 through 9. He is not here. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee. And they remembered his words. Um, and there they are. Okay. Now, here's where some of the details cause some people to throw up their hands and say, well, did they go or did they not go? Did they believe or did they not believe? Were they, did they have faith or did they have fear? And it appears to be contradictory. Remember, uh, we don't want to say that, well, Matthew was right, Mark was wrong. There's not a single verse of the Bible that's wrong. Not a single verse is not true. So if one says they had faith and one says they had fear, they're both true. Let's put them in an order where we can reconcile both. I think that their initial response included both fear and joy. Initially, they had both fear and joy. And we have the phrase used in Matthew 28, 8. They left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. They left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. And ran to report, ran to, purpose clause. They ran off with the purpose of reporting it to his disciples. They ran off with the purpose of reporting it to his disciples. Just think with me here on this, because it's going to make sense when we link it with Mark and when we link it with the other accounts. I'll slow down. I know I'm bouncing around. Okay, you with me now? We're in Matthew 28 together? Okay, so they've come to the empty tomb. They saw the stone was rolled away. Mary Magdalene said oh my goodness the stone's gone let's go get the disciples she takes off to go fetch Peter and John the other women then are still around they see an angel says he's not here he's risen look inside see there's no body there they go inside there's two more men inside two more angels inside testifying to his uh, resurrection saying go tell the disciples that he's gone ahead of them into Galilee And uh, so they take off with fear and joy, we're told. This is their first reaction, with fear and joy. And notice they don't reach the disciples in verse 8. They don't reach the disciples in verse 8. In fact, um, they're going to encounter Jesus on the way. In verse 9, they come face to face with Jesus before they even get to the disciples. And in verse 10, Jesus says do not be afraid go and take word to my brethren okay so they haven't made it to the disciples yet in verse 8 that's the, that's the point i'm making here and they come to jesus and he says keep going go and take word to my brethren and leave for galilee to leave for galilee so he wants not only the disciples there he wants his brothers there i think that's significant and um And so forth. So, this first attitude is with fear and joy. With fear and joy. Hey, hey. And I think it's not terror fear. I think it's fear of the Lord fear. I think it's the godly reverence. I think it's the appropriate fear. Combined with the joy. Now, let me ask you something. Does does that first impression of joy, does that always last? Does that always last? I'm thinking about the parable of the sower where there is a certain... um, Uh, uh, sown by the roadside circumstance right where immediately they receive it with joy or the stony ground i'm talking about where immediately they receive it with joy but then what happens then persecution arises and they fall away okay so a, a a moment of joy can start them on a path. A moment of joy can do a lot of things, but a moment of joy can start them on a path. But then some additional thinking can cause believers to stop and say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. And then we might have an opportunity for um, a different reaction, like a gripping fear and silence such as is defined uh described for us in Mark 16:8 Mark 16:8 These these responses I think are too different and so we don't view them as contradictory and 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 a, a mistake in the Bible we view them as complementary but placed into a sequence placed into a sequence So in Mark's record when the angel says go tell his disciples and Peter He is going ahead of you to Galilee. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. All right. So I believe both verses are true. I believe that the Matthew account is true, fear and joy. And I believe that the gripping... Um, astonishment, uh, trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. That's the wrong kind of fear in there. That's being scared. That's the lack of faith kind of fear. Okay. So, I've chosen to, to synchronize them in this way. To say that you have the first initial reaction, they take off running, to tell, with joy, and then the fear of the astonishment and the fear grips them and now they can't say anything. Now they can't say anything. Okay, And if my order is correct on this, I'm convinced I am, but if the order is correct on this, it would explain why now Jesus meets them on the way <laughs> to once again spur them on where the angel had initially kicked them into motion, right? Then now Jesus is going to have to kick them into motion again. See? Otherwise, again, as I return back to Matthew, let me flip back to Matthew again. To me, verses 9 and 10 are um, problematic. If if uh, verse 8 is all there is to the story, that, hey, they got great joy, let's run and report it to the disciples. Well, why does Jesus appear to them and have to impel them further and not only send them on to the disciples, but also to add to their assignment, saying, by the way, not only do I want you going to my disciples, I want you to go to my brethren, my family. That would include his earthly brothers, his sisters, his mother. Okay? Keep in mind, it's not just the twelve, uh, the 11 that uh, he's going to appear to in the resurrection. He's going to appear. I mean, who's in that upper room? Right? it's not just the disciples, it's his mother, it's his brothers, the ones that were unbelievers before he died on the cross. He actually appears to them in the resurrection. They get saved. They're saved before the day of Pentecost, before the church begins. Anyway, I I, I like the order on this, that they had an initial response with fear and joy, that they then while they were en route to the disciples, were gripped with fear and silence to the point where they didn't want to tell anybody. Where they didn't tell anybody. So we can't tell anybody this. You know, think about it. You ever think about it? (laughs) You got great news to tell somebody and you're all excited. You got this impulse of joy. I can't wait to tell them. And then you go running off and then then you stop and you think about it and go, oh, wait a minute. I just remembered something. They're not going to take it the way I took it. (laughs) <laughs> They're going to think I'm nuts. They're, you know. And then additional thinking comes. Oh, I can't tell them that. Ooh, wait a minute. That, that wouldn't be happy, happy news for them. Hmm. Okay. And then you reach the point. I don't want to say anything at all. I believe that's where they were in between Matthew twenty-eight eight and Matthew twenty-eight nine until they encountered jesus okay so behold jesus met them and greeted them and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him and he said to them stop being afraid stop being afraid now when were they afraid if if you take that fear and joy as being the godly reverence in verse eight when were they scared when he tells them stop being scared in verse 10 Stop being scared, in verse 10. Okay? I think this is the, the appropriate blending of Matthew 28 and Mark 16. So you have Matthew 28, 8, Mark sixteen eight, followed by um, Matthew 28, 9. An appearance by Jesus himself removed their fear and propelled them to the disciples. An appearance by Jesus himself removed their fear and propelled them to his disciples. Now, by the way, there's another appearance before this one. But uh, we, we won't pick up that until we get to Mary Magdalene in point F. An appearance by Jesus himself, after his appearance to Mary Magdalene, removed their fear and propelled them to the disciples removed their fear and propelled them to the disciples. That's what allows them to continue on in verses 9 and 10 of Matthew. It's what allows them to continue on in Luke 24, verses 10 and 11. That they had personally seen the Lord. I've already read Matthew and and Mark here a couple times. Let's look at Luke 24 again. Try to piece this together with the, the detail of being, first of all, joyous, secondly, fearful, thirdly, encountering Jesus, and then taking off in response. Um, return. Uh, they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven, and to all of the rest, they were Mary Magdalene, Joanna. The, they're named here, telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. So, does that make sense? I think it's a good way to reconcile the statement in Matthew that they uh, they had great joy and ran off to tell the disciples the statement in luke that they had great joy they ran off and told the disciples the statement in mark that says they were scared and didn't tell anybody they were scared and didn't tell anybody okay and by putting them in this sequence i think we can properly reconcile every account so the first response with fear and joy second they were gripped with fear which silenced them thirdly they met jesus himself removed who, who removed their fear propelled them on to finish telling the disciples. And I think that's the best way to handle what would otherwise be contradictory. Okay? Now, does that make sense? Any question on that? Okay. Then, we leave these women and we start looking at Peter and John. Because in the meantime, Peter and John race to the tomb. And this is the detail we have in John chapter 20. Peter and John race each other to the tomb. Now keep in mind, they've not yet heard. uh, they, They hear from Mary Magdalene. Um, they have not yet heard from the other women they've not yet heard from uh, the women not Mary Magdalene all they've heard from is Mary Magdalene at this point and it, I don't think it's clear whether all the eleven heard Mary Magdalene if it was only Peter and John at this point so so uh, Again, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark, saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. She ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Remember, this is John. He never names himself in his own gospel record, but this is John himself, the youngest of the disciples. Um, you know, was he 14 years old, 12 years old? We don't know how old he was at this point. I ex- expect he was a man. He was, you know, 14, 16 Um, young enough that he's still going to be around in 96 AD to write Revelation, okay? (laughs) So, um, not like Peter. Peter's an older man. So, um, she came uh, and told Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Now, notice the we. We do not know where they have laid him. I think that, that... is a clue that when she first arrived at the tomb she was with all those other women right that 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 gang of women but she left them there to to run here and, and fetch peter and john uh so that the little we there i think is a hint they have taken away the lord out of the tomb no word at all about an angel no word about an angel sitting on a stone no word about a young man inside the tomb no word about two angels uh talking about galilee no word about he's risen He's gone ahead of you to Galilee, just as he said. No word about anything that the other women besides Mary heard. She wasn't there to hear those messages, right? She just took off running to go fetch Peter and John. And so all she can tell them is the stone is gone and uh, the tomb is empty. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb. And the two were running together. And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first okay so let's hear it for uh let's hear it for youth <laughs> youth and energy right peter's the old man that uh, you know it'd be like if b3 and i took off running for a, an empty tomb let me tell you he would get there first or i would go get the mustang and drive get there first but all right and stooping and looking in he saw the linen wrappings lying there but he did not go in all right, and this is fascinating detail. We don't get any of this at all in the Synoptic Gospels, but this was his purpose. He's writing this decades after it happened. These are, I'm sure, these are very vivid memories to him. To the, you know, on into the 80s, uh, 70s, or 80s when he wrote this Gospel. I think he wrote the Gospel before he wrote the uh, the Epistles, before he wrote Revelation. Okay, so he's got these vivid memories, and uh, so he's stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came, huffing and puffing, <laughs> okay, finally arrives, following him, and entered the tomb. Now, Peter is not the kind of guy that will just kind of gently peek in. He's he's more of a just charge right into the middle of everything and look around, you know, grab a sword, start chopping off ears. He's the, uh, Peter is the bull in the china shop, if you know what I mean. And so he uh, he just barged on in saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Rolled up in a place by itself. So something different with that face cloth. And most of the commentaries believe that this was, um, you know, a, a a telltale. This was a, a sign. This was something that Peter and John had seen Jesus thousands of times over the last three years they'd constantly seen jesus come in and uh, the way that he took off his garment the way he would roll it up the way that he would gird himself about when he washed their feet the way that he did things that by seeing the uh, rolled up in a place by itself that that was very typical for the way that jesus uh, did things so the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered and he saw and believed. Saw and believed. For they, So, I mean, let me ask you. Was, was John an unbeliever prior to that? Was he not saved prior to that? Was he not saved um, for three and a half years following Jesus all around Galilee and everywhere? was he not was he not saved okay here's where we got to be careful of course he was saved he's a disciple you can't be a disciple if you're not saved he was the beloved disciple all right he was the most intimate of all jesus disciples had the greatest doctrinal understanding of any of the disciples but understand this term believe and the unbelief of the believer understand what happens when believers have hang-ups that they just won't let themselves believe certain promises they don't let themselves believe certain doctrines they don't let themselves believe certain verses you're still believers you're still saved and maybe the 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 problem is the way we use the term believer okay um because you can be saved born again by believing in jesus christ and receiving eternal life but then there later on after you're saved there are particular doctrines that you struggle to believe okay you don't lose your salvation of course but what what happens you need to grow you need to get through those blind spots you need to to uh accept what god has stated on the on the faith basis So, uh, for in terms of the doctrine of the resurrection, either Peter or John would let themselves believe in the resurrection. The reason why is because neither one would let themselves believe in the crucifixion. All right, right up until the cross itself, they were still in disbelief that it was necessary, in disbelief that it was going to happen. And for that whole Sabbath Saturday, they were in disbelief that it did happen. Okay, can you imagine? when you're so disoriented that you can't even identify the reality of what you just witnessed? Until they're standing there in the empty tomb and then all of the promises, all of the doctrine, all the... Yes, he was going to die and he was going to rise again on the third day. and Here we are on the third day and he's gone. Now it starts crashing in and they're able to finally accept, persuaded by... They should have been persuaded by the truthfulness of the one who spoke the promise. <laughs> okay? I mean, the only thing that requires to believe is that the one who made the statement is believable, is trustworthy. But in their case, rather than believe what he said because of who he was, they believe what he said because they were standing in an empty tomb. If that makes sense. So the disciples, for they as yet did not or had not prior to this understood the scripture that he must rise again from the dead so the disciples went away again to their own homes but mary was standing outside the tomb weeping now here's where mary is going to get her one-on-one this is where mary is going to get the i think this is the gardener kind of thing okay and um we'll have to pick up here next week because we're already at the top of the hour we got Mary Magdalene for her second arrival at the tomb, and uh, her encounter with the gardener. All right, almost made it. One more Sunday or one more Wednesday ought to uh, ought to wrap this up, and then we'll be ready to move on to the guards and their report of the resurrection, then the Emmaus road, then uh, the uh, the locked room minus Thomas the uh, the locked room with Downing thomas the um the fish fry on the beach the the, the breakfast on the beach the finish line's in sight i tell you we're getting close this has been a, a life of christ study that's gone uh since january of 2004 and uh <laughs> we are we are close to the finish line Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for this study. Thank you for the privilege we have to put these details together and to synthesize the four gospel accounts. Father, we pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding. If there's anything that has been unclear in the process of these details, then uh, allow uh, your Holy Spirit, Father, to make them clear and to settle them in our mind, Father, as we accept uh, what it is that you have revealed. Father, do not allow us to remain like Peter and John and just struggle to accept the truth of what you say, Father, until we're standing there staring at it. Father, allow us to accept what you've said because you're the one who said it. And Father, give us the faith that we might embrace all, the whole counsel of your word, line upon line and precept upon precept. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ, most precious and holy name. Amen.